Harry Vickers, Reverends Richard Coles, Kate Botley and Giles Fraser talk about Christmas. I think another interesting thing, and it's to do with the power of that crib in the patch of light, is that at that moment we're never more keenly aware that God is equidistant from everyone. And at Knightsbridge, where we would have the great... and the, We used to do these kind of big charity carols. I remember one year, among our readers were the Grand Mufti and Rod Stewart. You know, it was that sort of thing. But there was, it was always kind of wonderful. So at the end of it, you would have, you know, the great and the good and the sort of tatler reading, tatler photograph people. And then there would be the street homeless people who were our population by night. And just for a moment, there would be a sense that we were all the same equally distant from God. Not this great big warrior flaming coming down from heaven with a sword, but this little baby in a crib. Yeah, and as a mum yourself, you look at those images of Mary holding Jesus and you just, of course, you think, what if it was my baby? OK, best Christmas film, Botley. Oh, uh, Die Hard, without absolute a question. Um, yeah. Top three, Die Hard, uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, number three, it could be Grem- Gremlins or It's a Wonderful Life, isn't it? I thought you were my friend. Come on. What? It's not Christmas till you've seen Hans Gruber fall off the Nakatomi building. Jingle bell, jingle bell, rock. That brilliant bit. And yippee ki oh, can't, can't say the it's rude bit after that. It's a brilliant Christmas movie. It's the best Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life, It's a Wonderful Life, and then Winterlight by Ingmar Bergman about a failed priest in Sweden in the winter. <laughs> So much fun so at this parties. Is, this, this, this is Christmas. You can go and have Ingmar Bergen with, with you, and then with your mum, you can go and have the readings on New Year's <laughs> Eve. What a miserable time. <laughs> of course, Christmas Day, three o'clock, Queen's Speech. Does the Botley household stop? Only if it's at its dinner and there's nothing else on. It's not a massive tradition, OK? We never watched it growing up. But when I have watched it, I've, yeah, it's been great. I mean, she always talks about her faith, doesn't she? So when, whenever I've watched it, I've always thought, actually, this is, this is a better sermon than exactly. I preached this morning, you I know? Think it, I, a couple of years ago she did one, and I just thought, I don't think I've ever heard the essentials of Christian faith laid out so effectively. Everything has to stop. In my house. Even if you're in the middle of dinner, you stop. Really? Because your, yeah, your dad is ex-forces. No, I think my mum is a particular driving force of this, but we all have to sit round. And there was a tradition, and we've sort of managed to get rid of it, where you don't open your presents until after you've heard the Queen. You lost that long? Yeah, no, there was, there was a tradition that you have to wait for the Queen, so it gives you permission to... That's all gone now, even in open hours at the night before. But... <laughs> <laughs> It's downright continental. It's continental, exactly. We'll be having a duvet in it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is... I don't, don't, don't love about the Queen's speech. It's just one of those moments when you kind of think it's a point around which everybody gathers yeah. and here's something, you're pulling a... Th- it's, not, it's just not a thing. It's just not a Do thing you think it's just an, an illusion of... It's never been a thing. We've, I didn't even know there was a Queen's speech well, until absent, I left home. Absent the Botley lot... I mean, you just do feel that this is something... I suspect you're not. No, I think you're you're probably not. But we had a sense that this was one of those sort of moments where the whole... I felt the whole nation was listening to Her Majesty the Queen, that that everybody was gathered around it, and we were all brought together by that. And, no, I understand now that it's not the case, but it was extraordinary that... uh, Don't laugh me, but we used to stand for the national anthem. Did you? Yeah. We had to. My, to my father, who was whose ex-forces, he would stand to attention. My house is more socialist than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. You were still eating socialism dinner. socialism got to do with it? <laughs> the Queen's more socialist than yeah, you thought true. she was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, one more thing. Christmas presents. What do you want in your stocking on Christmas morning, Kate Botley? 
someone else to cook the lunch. That'd be lovely. So a chef. Yeah, that'd be really nice. Josh? I don't need presents. I've got everything I need. I seriously, I don't really need presents. And I love the cooking. Oh, I absolutely love the cooking. I love it, and I'm a fascist in the kitchen. I absolutely, I want to do it. Don't touch it. I've got to make everything happen. That I love. Really love that. Can you see no one has asked me what I want in my stocking? What do you want in your stocking? Do you want what do you in want? your stocking? Well, we'll get you. What should we get you? <laughs> I don't want anything. I just want well, everyone to be happy. But well, if I could have something, I quite like the crown jewels. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a euphemism for something rude? <laughs> You keep your private life to yourself, Colsey. Well, on that note, if, if any of us want to have a licence to be able to serve Christmas in the future, we'd better bail out. Can I just say before we do that, to you both, very happy Christmas. And to also, Ian Myersco attends Pitlochry Baptist Church. Ian finds inspiration in one of Cristina Rossetti's poems. A phrase from a Cristina Rossetti poem came into my mind today, and it aptly summarises how to live in our present shaky world. She was the daughter of Italian political refugees to the UK. They'd fled troubled times at home. She's describing her own place of rest from outside turmoil, which derived from looking up to Jesus Christ, who she calls the light of lights in her poem. The last line runs, Earth reels, but she has stored her store above. You could say the earth is reeling now. Most people would agree with you. We don't know what prompted her own thoughts. She had to contend with her untreatable thyroid condition, as well as external things. But she had found a place above where she had stored what was essential to her own life. Light, even in darkness, runs the second line. If we look up, she adds cryptically. You could be cynical and call it her fantasy world, or you could share the same confidence in the kingdom that is above as I do, along with millions, and instantly know exactly what she means and where she's coming from. Jesus introduces himself to Nicodemus, a Jewish lawmaker in John chapter 3. He simply says, Nick, you're from below, but I'm from above. If you want to see my kingdom, you'll need to be born from above. The real eternal world where you belong is above. God loves you so much he sent me to you, but you'll need to believe in me. Look up, Nick. That's a free translation, but it's accurate. It's pointless to have even an expert view on the reeling world around us if all the answers are above. Strategists, economists, they all fail if we really need to be looking up 
for true safety. Paul writes to some new Christians from his own experience as a failed fixer, to a believer in Jesus Christ, the man from above, in Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, because you've died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I can only add my own life experience, I'm a grandfather now, that looking back confirms the reality of this safe place of faith in the stormiest of times. I recommend you all to look up and believe with Christina Rossetti. They reckon she'd have been the poet laureate had she been a man, but hey, she had stored her store above. Mary Haddo was Minister of Pitlochry Church of Scotland for 10 years until she retired last Easter. During lockdown, she recorded this short sermon in her garden about peace at Christmas time. Peace is a recurring theme in the Nativity story. It starts within the promises of the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah speaks in the passage read earlier today of an amazing peace. A peace that comes amid the vivid imagery of the boots of tramping warriors and battle garments covered in blood, all of which will be burned as fuel for the fire to usher in the one who will be known as the Prince of Peace. According to the Gospel writer Luke, a multitude of heavenly hosts the ones who appeared to the shepherds the night of Jesus' birth sang of peace on earth, goodwill to all. And as you know, many of our favourite carols pick up the theme of peace as well in an almost lullaby tone. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. I think most of us would want the peace that the stable scene represents, as well as the peace of which the angels sang to the shepherds, their promise of peace on earth. And yet the peace offered by this newborn prince of peace, who was foretold by Isaiah and heralded by the angels, isn't just about quiet or the absence of war, the absence of conflict. Surprisingly enough, it's bigger than that. As well as being about being a peace with being at peace with our neighbour, it's about being at peace with God, experiencing peace amidst the storms of life. A few years ago I read a book called Peace Child. It tells the true story of Don Richardson, who in 1962 went to work among the Sawi tribe of western New Guinea. The Sawi were known to be cannibalistic headhunters. Nevertheless, Richardson and his family went to live with them to share the good news about how we can have peace with God and live in peace with each other. But this tribe had some very unusual beliefs. 
To them, a person gained the greatest honour by making friends with an enemy, inviting them to their home for a meal, or maybe several meals, being very good friends to them. And when the visitor least expected it, they would run him through with a spear. They considered deceit and treachery a great virtue. So when Don Richardson told them the story of Jesus' betrayal by Judas, the Sawi clapped and cheered because Judas, not Jesus, was their hero. They admired his shrewd penetration of Jesus' inner circle and his cunning in betraying his leader. The missionary tried all sorts of ways to explain the greatness of God's amazing love to a people whose values were based on deceit, but every attempt failed. A warring tribe, the Sawi and a neighbouring tribe, fought battles so violent that the missionaries finally decided that they needed to move away because it was their presence that brought the warring tribes into contact with each other. But the Sawi didn't want them to go. And to prevent Richardson and his family leaving, they were prepared to make peace. And this is how they did it. A man went into his hut, took his newborn son, his only child, and ran across the meadow to the enemy tribe and handed him over. From then on, they would be responsible for his health and well-being. And one by one, each member of the enemy tribe touched the head of this small boy. In that culture, this was the only way to make peace. Because they believed that if a man would actually give his own son to his enemies, that man could be trusted. But the enemy tribe were clearly moved that this father should make such a painful sacrifice because to give an only child was unheard of. This was a sacrifice that would be honoured and as long as the child lived there would be no more war between the two tribes. The child was known as the peace child. This small child, the peace child, did what was thought to be impossible in a culture where violence, treachery and bloodshed were everyday occurrences. The sacrifice of this father to give up his only son and the recognition of how great this sacrifice was brought enemies together. They put their hope and trust in the peace child and things were never the same again. Because when Don Richardson witnessed this, he explained to the Sawi that Jesus is the peace child. And when they heard this, the popularity of Judas suddenly took a dive because to betray or harm or neglect a peace child was inconceivable to them. The Christmas story is a beautiful story that captures the hearts of adults and children alike as we picture a baby surrounded by hay and all kinds of farm animals and visitors from nearby fields and far-off lands. But this story is not told in the Bible to make us feel all warm inside. This is a story about the peace child given to the world. In the Gospel of John, we are told that God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
Jesus is our peace child, sent to make peace between us and God, peace between each of us and our families, peace between neighbours near and far. And the key is putting our hope and trust in God's peace child, the one who can bring peace in the midst of the storms of life. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace.
The Reverend Dr. Philip Noble has many interests, which you can see on his website, bubblestrings.com. In this series on Heart and Soul, Philip is talking about different aspects of Jesus' ministry. Today, he suggests why people look like their pets. I wonder if you've ever noticed how much people look like their pets. So it's true to a certain extent about rabbits and guinea pigs and so so forth, but most of all, I think it's true about dogs. So if you would see a walking dog, you might look at it and say, hmm, that's a lovely red setter, for instance. And more often than not, you'll find that the person walking the dog will be tall and athletic and move really well. Or it might be that you see a very jumpy Springer Spaniel. And you look again, it's likely to be a family with a young boy who's very excited and quite a springy person too. Or what about an older person, say an older woman with white curly hair? She might have a little dog, like a Scotty or something like that, on a long lead. So it would sound to be quite a likely thing that people look like their pets. But I want to suggest something else. I want to suggest that pets look like the people who own them. Now, that's a bit different. It really means that people look at their pets, especially pet dogs, and they're looking for something familiar in them. Almost like looking in a mirror, mirror, they want to see something that's a bit like themselves. And that's why you find so often the pets look a little bit like the people who own them. Now, I want to tell you a wonderful truth. And that is that God made us, all of us, in his image. You can read about it in the second chapter of Genesis and what happened. Because he gave us not always, not only his uh, image, but he gave us all sorts of things as well that went with that. He gave us life and love and the willingness to choose what's right and wrong. And sadly, of course, it tells us in the Bible that we chose badly. And so the rest of the Old Testament tells us all about how God tried to find his people and to rescue them and bring them back. And it all failed until the very end, he decided only one way. And he sent his own son, Jesus, who came to the earth and lived with us and died and rose again and gave us his spirit so that we would be able to find our way back to God. Now, that is a wonderful story and a wonderful possibility. And thinking about the first story, it's almost like I was thinking we were like rescue animals. You know, that God has made us to be like him and we turned away from him. But he didn't then start looking around for the best in show from Crufts to say, well, you're okay and you're okay. He actually sent Jesus to the ones who were needing rescued, like um, the animals who had been lost for a long time and had nobody who really wanted them because they didn't really look like anybody. God wanted them for himself. And the truth is, it's still today possible to enter God's homely place. We call it in the Bible, God's kingdom. And that is to let him come in and pull us back to his place where he meant us to be from the very beginning. And that's the story of why God made man in his own image and sent Jesus to bring him back to his homely place.